Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name is Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. And we are back. Um, it's still extremely hot outside. It's still in the middle of summer. And so I think it's it's a good transition. We're still going to cover some some good midsummer uh, agronomy topics here. The next one we wanted to cover, it kind of follows up to our, our discussion of fungicides. And it actually came up during that podcast a few times, Cameron, that that uh, was the inclusion of an insecticide in a tank mix or something like that. We wanted to dive off into that a little bit more. And uh, so we have the, uh, I want to say bug expert, but I feel like that's not scientifically okay. So I'm going to say insect expert, uh, Kevin Moore with us today. You want to give us kind of a little short background on you, Kevin? Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for, thanks for having me. And I wouldn't, consider myself an expert but uh it's it's tough i think it's tough for anybody to be an expert in insects with so how you know how many the multitude of species there are and all that but uh i try to focus on crop pests and what we can do to manage those um i've been uh, a district agronomist with mfa for six years now and uh uh, before I was in Illinois, so I learned a lot about the insect world there, and we've got some similarities and and a lot of different um, differences as far as the pest spectrum and across different geographies. So sure, well, we definitely appreciate you taking the time to sit down and discuss it with us today. It's it's a it's a timely topic, something everybody's running around scouting fields for this time of year. So. I struggled a little bit, to be honest with you, Kevin, on on where to start <laughs> with this topic. Um, did I, as far as just diving off in, I didn't want to just dive off in and start throwing out names of species and all that kind of stuff because it just it really washes out quickly from you know from an external um, perspective. I think mm-hmm. so. What I wanted to start with is is let's go into uh, a little bit of just kind of overall corn, like a lot of the state, a lot of our trade territory is on a corn soybean rotation with with possibly a small grain thrown in there. But let's talk a little bit about just general mitigation, things that we are generally doing to mitigate the impacts of insect damage uh, to those crops and uh, maybe define some of those terms. You know, a lot of people have heard of, of IPM and or integrated pest management. So I know that's a, an extremely broad question, but just can, it, can you kind of give us the 30,000 foot level there first? Sure. So, well, as far as IPM goes, um, there are four control methods. There's biological control, so that would, um, you know, have to do with bringing in a uh, predatory, okay, whether it be insect species, uh, mites, or something to control a specific insect pest that's made it into an area. There's cultural control, so that has to do with your crop rotation. Um, uh, how you know how you manage that other other you know management methods that uh, you might do in addition to that there's also mechanical control methods so if we need to bury you know with tillage if we need to bury residue that might be harboring pests you know and that kind of thing and and then there's chemical control so in IPM you typically would try to go with the other, th- you know, if if possible, if it fits your management, what what we can do on 
at least on the cultural control, you know, in the no-till, you know, we're in a heavy no-till area, mechanical control is not, doesn't really necessarily sure. fit. Uh, biological control, that's not really necessarily something that's up to an individual grower. There, there's probably a, you know, a lot of, a lot of research into, and a lot of things to consider when bringing in a new, a new insect species to try to introduce something they can become a problem to if right. we're not careful. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then, then of course, you know, we want to look at those things, what the possibilities are. And then, and then we look at chemicals when that's our, you know, that's becomes our only option left. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we might get rid of the pest by mowing down the soybean crop, but we're not going to do that. Right. So that right. like <laughs> sometimes that's all you're left with. So, um, when you go to just general overall kind of mitigation techniques, I, I want you to touch a little bit on, um, seed treatments and you've already hit on, like you already talked about crop rotation. That's obviously a, a major mitigation technique that we all use or most folks are using, uh, on a day, on a yearly basis, essentially. But can you talk a little bit about seed treatments too, and, and kind of, um, what's included there and maybe how long through some of that crop, um, growth cycle that, that some of that product is there. Yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, with corn and beans being our major crops and, um, you know, some small grains in there, we've, we've got seed treatment options for, you know, all, all three of those, uh, with corn specifically, we're, we're really looking at early season pests. So grubs, wireworms, some, there are some higher levels of seed treatment that do claim cutworm control. Okay. Um, that's, that's still a tricky pest. So we'll, we'll can, we may get into that one a little bit, a little bit more, you know, s- seed corn maggots, seed corn beetles, uh, a lot of things that, that can affect that corn plant as it germinates as it's re- really trying to come up, uh, come sure. up out of the ground and get started. Uh, soybeans, same way. Uh, a lot of early season pest, soy pest species and soybeans are similar to corn. We still, still see some seed corn maggots and um, seed corn beetles do attack soybeans as well. Um, One one more more of a major pest that we can get activity on out of seed treatments is bean leaf beetles. But with bean leaf beetles, there are two um, and sometimes three generations a year. So our seed treatment is only going to take care of that first generation. That's the one they, they like to attack the uh, earlier, earlier planted fields, first soybeans that are up, that's, that seems to be where we find the heaviest pressure, but, uh, those seed treatments will, will take care of them through, through that generation of bean leaf beetle. After that, once we start getting some trifoliate leaves, uh, on those beans are probably going to be out of gas. And then we're back to, you know, it's so mainly with treatments, we're trying to get the crop started. Um, uh, also, you know, when we're talking corn, we, we do have, um, BT traits that okay. are very widely, very widely used. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the, and those are, those are pretty specific, uh, to what pests, pest species, um, you know, European corn border was the first thing we went after with those traits. And, you know, with these BT traits, we've been, been pretty successful at keeping them, keeping them back. And, uh, we haven't really seen any resistance problems with, on European corn borer. Um, there's also BT traits that are specific to corn rootworms as well. Okay. So, can you go into those a little bit? Because I think I know that comes up sometimes with with seed purchasing and, and looking at trait packages and and whatnot. 
Yeah, yeah. So the below ground traits are, you know, when you hear below ground or above ground, where the below ground traits are typically going after rootworm species. So, um, and then and then there has been um, resistance to develop to some okay. of these traits. So we're we're now looking at multiple multiple modes of action. So, you know, a lot of people have heard of smart stacks. That's mm-hmm. we have multiple modes of action to kind of okay. slow either slow this resistance or or take you know maybe take out a you know if we have a have some resistant populations that that come in that you know that ideally the the addition of another a second trait may still take care of that insect if it's resistant to the first one that's in there um you know, above above ground, uh, corn borer's been the main target. Um, there's also also traits for other other caterpillars. Uh, some some corn borer traits um, do have activity on some other caterpillars. Um, there's and a lot of these are a cry protein, and uh, so with with that being a cry protein, um, that's just you know one one type of a BT protein there's also a vip protein um and that also that takes care of a broader spectrum of of caterpillars as well which so on the and i know the you know the uh the systemic treatment that's on the seed a lot of times that's that's generally put out there as a preventative across the board on some of those smart stacks and some of those other traits is that something that um typically is on every acre should be on every how do you look at like kind of making those decisions of which one of those to go with so if we're if we're in an area where rootworm is a concern that would be where where a grower would want to is the more the more traits we have in there the more that bag of seeds going to cost so if if there's not any rootworms or no history of rootworms in a certain area we don't need to spend the money on that okay um, you know, Northwest Missouri, we've, uh, s- uh, have an extended diapause, um, Northern corn rootworm variant that's moving in, uh, which that by, by that it, it's overcome crop rotation. So okay. it, that variant will lay its eggs. And the, so the only host, the only larval host for corn rootworms is corn. Um, you know, they can survive off on some grasses and stuff, but they, they really, I mean, corn is their primary host. So with historically it was a corn on corn pest because they'll lay their eggs in corn. And next year you have corn Corn again, the, 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 the overwinter is in the, is an egg. So then, you know, they'll hatch in the, in the springtime when it gets warm enough and attack those corn roots. Um, so the Northern corn root worm, there's a variant that, can lay its eggs in corn like it always does, but it does not hatch the next year. It waits two it waits two winters, two years, two winters. and so we're in corn again. And then we've we've got a so it, that's how the northern corn rootworm has overcome crop rotation. Um, the western corn rootworm, there's also a variant that has figured out how to just simply how to lay its eggs in soybeans. So we see that in <laughs> Illinois, and it's really? not going to surprise me if we see it. Um, you know, eventually, eventually west of the up. west of the Mississippi River. Has anybody ever like, not to get way too far off track here? Um, I know we weren't planning on covering rootworms this much, but as far as like kind of throwing some curveballs into rotation, like 
throwing two year two or three years of beans in there and then maybe a, a corn on corn or something like that just to yeah, just to keep uh, some of that at, at bay. There there's been some entomologists that we've worked with on the you know what what we're seeing with the extended diapause um, rootworm coming in and that's their number one suggestion is to throw two years of soybeans out there. Okay. Um, just to kind of break that cycle. Mix it up. I think, yeah, that's, that's definitely something because you know, that those methodical cycles, I think we're like the only species that those mm-hmm. make sense to the rest of the world wants some sort of yeah. curveball yeah. thrown at it. And <laughs> with, with, in when we're talking the IPM and, and stuff, there is, there are other, um, there are insecticide options that somebody can put on in furrow with their planter. Um, you know, in addition to, okay, uh, or depending on what kind of pressure we're looking at, if we're wanting another mode of action on top of the BT traits, we've, you know, there are in furrow options, right? But there is no rescue treatment. So okay. on the larva, there we used to have furidan. That's no longer legal to use or sell or be made. So I got gotcha. you. Okay. So really, when you're thinking about traits, though, like smart sacks. Correct me if I'm wrong, but smart sacks is above and below ground um, root control. So most most of the time when we're looking at a trait, you're looking more at a VT double pro, you know, or s- some trait that's similar to that. It's just above ground because really all we're trying to do is protect against earworms, ear prairie cor- corn borer in that sense. Cor- correct. So, and, mo- and most of MFA's trade territory, right. we're looking at above ground only okay. um, because we're in the majority of the territory we don't have a rootworm issue in, gotcha. unless you're in the corn on corn area. Right. Okay. But there, I mean, there is other traits. I mean, there's the smart sacks, there's Tricepta, mm-hmm. there's power core. Um, you know, NK has a lot of dirt, the Duracade and, you know, traits and stuff like that. So, yes. Yeah. yeah there, there are several options. A lot of them, a lot of them are kind of tied to what genetic background that hybrid has. If, you know, if okay. it's a Syngenta, hybrid you'll see syngenta traits if it's a right but you know bear hybrid you'll see you know bear or former monsanto traits um, okay. um and some of those do do cross uh, you know the you'd mentioned the tricepta that's um this you know that's the same or the same uh genes as the agrisure 3330 right. so yep. okay okay yeah those are all they all get thrown around a lot and it's yeah it's confusing so, and you've already brought this up with uh with some of the smart stacks stuff but um i mean because because what you just mentioned was essentially what i wanted wanted you to kind of define for us before we jump off into to certain insects is maybe an economic threshold and you mentioned that hey it a lot of times doesn't make sense to run that higher dollar trait package so can you go into that a little bit on on what you're looking for from that perspective yeah yeah so so on that there's um two different terms you mentioned economic threshold there's also economic injury level okay economic injury level is the level of damage um caused by a pest that the minimum level of damage that um the, the yield loss is equal to the cost of treatment Okay. Economic threshold is before we reach that injury level because we want to allow time to, you know, to actually get that application made. And we're assuming right. that those pest numbers are going to increase to that economic injury level. So, okay. 
So the threshold's when we pull the trigger so we can get that application made before it hits that economic injury level. Right, before it's actually injuring the crop. Okay. So, so and really to determine thresholds, all I mean, a lot of that's done by scouting. You, right. You've got to be out there counting, counting insects and, you know, depending on what crop it is, what insect we're looking at, there's different methods of, of counting um, it, in every, every pest has a different threshold um, and that threshold can change based on the price of, uh, you know, price of grain. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. You know, one or two bushels a couple, three years ago versus one or two bushels this year, mm-hmm. um, big, big difference, difference economically for yeah. sure. And I think it's important to know when you, when you talk about scouting for some of these things, you know, it's the, what you're talking about is not drive by scouting. Um, correct. I mean, you are <laughs> correct. Yeah, you, you're probably not going to get a very good bug count just by driving by or even know that there's a bug in there. Right, right. And a lot of times by by the time you're seeing the, damage from the road, you're way past yeah, that. Economic that yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, if you drive by your soybeans and you see that there's bug damage, you're probably way yeah. past that point. Yes. And yeah. there's no rescue treatment at that. Yeah. Cool. Well, Let's dive in, and I, and I want to try to keep, and I know, you know, we already way veered off of this path because we talked about corn rootworms, but um, I guess that's kind of a season-long pest, so it's, it's okay. We could throw it in the same bucket, but uh, I want to kind of talk about stuff that might be out there in the field, you know, right now, uh, kind of through, sure, from corn through the, through the rest of the season. I guess um, dropped it there, but I want to start with corn. So what are you looking for in cornfields right now? Um, and, and kind of what, what concerns you or if you see something? So. Well, I, I guess I wouldn't say concerns me as much as it does a lot of growers. Everybody's worried about Japanese beetles. Okay. Um, in corn, that yes, they can they can be a problem. Okay. Um, they, they will clip the silks. And if, if that is happening during pollination and we do not have very favorable pollination conditions to where our silks aren't, showing much regrowth okay yeah we can have yeah we can have pollination problems from that this this season um yeah there's plenty of japanese beetles out there in the corn but we had at least in my part of the world the northern part of the state the pollination conditions were really good there was adequate moisture uh any japanese beating beetle feeding on the silks the silks were able to able to outgrow we have good you know had good pollination yeah sure then after poll another uh, thing is to look where where are we in pollination there's several fields that um, I was in two weeks ago and there was not many Japanese beetles out there uh, pollination was about 75% done we didn't have anything to worry about the week after I got back in there pollination was totally complete and um, then Japanese Japanese beetles came in and then clipped the silks off. And then after pollination is done, they aren't going to grow back right? because they've, they've got pollen. So sure. you can go look at a, look at a cornfield with no silks on them. that have been clipped off by Japanese beetles. And that may have happened after it pollinated and, and right. didn't hurt that crop at all. Yeah. Really. Okay. Right. I think that's the biggest concern that we see is, is that sometimes we see Japanese beetles in the field and we just think, Oh, should we put on an application just to get, knock them down? And really, it's like you said, we need to take a deep look and see, have we got through pollination? Are we almost the end of it? Or, you know, like you said, do we have a great growing conditions where it's going to grow back? Because, I mean, those silks grow pretty fast. If we, if we have a good wet, you know, if we have plenty of moisture in that crop, those silks are going to grow, grow back pretty fast throughout the day. And you're not going to usually have a 
probably when it comes to pollination. Yeah, and another thing with Japanese beetles, they tend to kind of they tend to clump together. They right. you'll find a lot of them in the field edges, and the guy might walk in and it's like, "Wow, I got a problem." You go out a little ways, there's nothing. Um, another th- the economic threshold on Japanese beetles, I believe, is three beetles on an ear, and that's when they're you know when during unfavorable pollination conditions and the silks aren't out outgrowing their um them being there but that's you know you're looking at a whole field and you know i always with the way japanese beetles clump together it's you don't see them on every plant you may Mm -hmm. you may see 10 of them on an ear and then not see another one for 100 yards right right okay um so so as for that has been the kind of the recent um, but insect that uh, you know growers have been worried about, and okay. you know moving forward we're going to be looking at more more ear feeding insects such as corn ear worms, um, okay. fall army worms, western bean cut worms. Those are kind of the next thing on our insect radar. And that stuff is going to be feeding basically directly on the developing ear, essentially. Yeah, correct. Okay. Correct. What options are there to do anything for? in this late of the season for those kind of insects is it or is there so so there is there are some you know insecticides that that do have activity that are they are very they're tricky since they're down in the husk right, so right. um you know in the past there's there has been some success with lores ban um there there is a new a new product out there and i i think we'll you know we may may get into some of the, some of the newer modes of action on insecticides later but there is a product called prevathon um it's really good on caterpillars um really like the data i'm seeing on corn earworm control okay with that with that one so i guess i should i guess i should say so there is some options, but is, is those options usually ever worth it? Like, are we usually ever reaching an ec- economic threshold that it justifies that means? Well, we, it happens. It, 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 we do get there. It's with corn earworms. It's, it's not, it seems to be more in a, maybe a replant situation mm-hmm. or a later, a later planted field. Uh, those moths are going to be attracted to, uh, fresh silks to lay their right. eggs on, and a lot of times those moths don't don't fly in until after most of the corn's pollinated. So yeah, um, so there it, it really depends on the timing of uh, the you know the moths the moths flying in and laying eggs. But yes, there's there are cases where we've recommended spraying insecticide for earworms, but it's no, it's not not every year. It may yeah. maybe one maybe one field every other year out of everything that we look at. So. Yeah. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Well, it makes sense. Um, if you do have to spray this time of year, you know, it's, you're typically restricted to an airplane. Um, are there any kind of watch out scenarios or, or anything else that you'd recommend if you, somebody has to make that call? Um, something that needs to be in the tank with it or, or anything like that? Uh, I would, one, one thing I would recommend adding, and this is, let's say we've already made that fungicide application and something, something comes later, right? Um, because we do, if there is, if there is a problem at that time, we can put an insecticide in sure. with that, but, sure. uh, this year it didn't really seem to be the case to where we had okay. uh, in corn anyways, to where we had enough, you know, enough, at least in my, my area, enough insects to, to justify putting and adding an insecticide to it. But um, we do have uh, MFA does have a uh, new 
um, adjuvant. It's called PowerShot. It's uh, it's got some drift control properties, but also is a very good very good penetrant and uh, has some spreading activities. Uh, um, you know, helps helps those droplets spread uh, across the leaves or you know, kind of on into the ear a little bit. Right. Um, we're we're typically recommending that that product with any fungicide or insecticide application or or the combination of the two just okay. to, just to help help those products get into get on spread across the plant a little better get into the leaves you know a little yep. bit too well kind of like you said on some of those um earworms and stuff like that where they're kind of tucked down in the husk by having a product like that you know with an nis or a surfa- spreading surfactant of that nature it's kind of you know, when you get those droplets that fall within that husk, it can help kind of pull those in and kind of help give you a little bit more coverage on the ear tips yep. of those ears. Yep, absolutely. Okay, cool. Very good. Well, it's, yeah, I think it's, you know, back to just um, hammering on the point of scouting and, and no, it's yep. tempt, it's it's very tempting for guys to get lazy and, and dump stuff in there when when maybe, you know, something mm-hmm. like this year where we just didn't see the, the need for it. Yeah. So, um. Switching gears a little bit, and, and I know there's there's probably more to talk about in, in soybeans this this time of year. Um, so you want to kind of go into to what you're looking for out there right now? Yeah, ab- absolutely. So um, you know, with with soybeans, uh, we are in the well, other than the later planted stuff or the replanted stuff, we are into the reproductive stages. Um, and we we are getting pretty close to or but we in a lot of cases we are at that proper time for a fungicide application. I think Shannon may have mentioned on your last episode adding an insecticide to that. Um, that the adding an insecticide to a fungicide application is one of the only two times that I will recommend adding an insecticide just just because. The reason being in soybeans, when we, there's two, two things that um, are going on when we make a fungicide application in soybeans. One, there are beneficial fungus out there that do keep in levels of certain insects down. Okay. So if we, you know, if we're taking, getting rid of our bad fungus, uh, you know, we, there's also some good ones that we're getting rid of. Um, the second thing with most of the fungicides we're using having a strobe in there there is the also that plant those plant health benefits that everybody talks about mm-hmm. so we're looking at a lot greener plant a lot greener leaf that is something that will attract insects to come in and and feed on them okay. um, you know if, if you're gonna make a salad and you're gonna want to eat a salad with green, really green lettuce as opposed to brown lettuce the same same thing that's going to be more and more and more attractive to your um to your insect pests so have, having that health your plant so to counteract those two things we add that insecticide in. okay yeah um the only other instance where i will recommend adding an insecticide just because is on um corn on the first herbicide pass adding an insecticide for black cutworm prevention okay that's the only two times other than that i i am definitely opposed to just putting an insecticide in and any an application just because we're going across the field because we there are good 
beneficial species that we're going to kill when we do that. Sure. So yeah, we, you may be setting yourself up for more insecticide applications exactly. because you killed all your predators out there. So just because you know we thought it was a good idea to dump a couple or a couple dollar an acre product in there and, that, and that's usually the the excuse i always hear for those right. kind of things well it's you know it, I'm, I'm probably saving myself a pass and yeah. put an extra two two dollar yeah, an acre only, only two dollars or, or whatever you know whatever the the economics of it are but mm-hmm. uh but you may be causing yourself to have another thirty dollar an acre application later on yep for so. sure and, and in uh one thing we need to be careful with with adding that insecticide in with the fungicide is a straight pyrethroid insecticide, which there are several, several of them, very commonly used. They're, you know, they're they're a fairly safe product. They make a good tank mix partner, but there's we also um, there's a concern of flaring spider mites. So spider mites are not insects, right. um, but uh, pyrethroids will not kill them, but it. it seems like it, it makes them sick enough to, to where it just triggers them to reproduce. So we then we can see those numbers explode. So um, we want to, so that's where we want to look at using multiple modes of action. There's um, certain products that we're not as concerned about spider mite flare-ups as others. And I, as a matter of fact, I'm more concerned about a spider mite flare-up on like what we had discussed, just throwing an insecticide in with an earlier herbicide application. I got um, you. Right. As opposed to, but it's still it's still uh, something to be aware of and something to be concerned about to where we need to, you know, be careful on picking our products or we may have to go back with a different uh, type of insecticide that does have spider mite activity later. So since you mentioned spider mites, let's just cover it real quick. When do you potentially see spider mites? Is there is there like environmental conditions that kind of make spider mites show up a little bit more? And kind of what options do we have for spider mites? So so you can see spider mites throughout the season, but they really cause damage to soybeans when it's hot and dry. And one one thing that um, kind of moves them over to you know they'll hang out in the in your roadsides. So you know after after you mow your roadsides and say it's um, you, you know they need something to eat on there's no you know no more mowed down the grass they'll go mm-hmm. to a beat go to beans um i found spider mites plenty when we had really good growing conditions plenty of moisture and they don't cause the visual damage on the soybeans that we see when it's hot and dry and the beans are already under stress mm-hmm. um so to control spider mites i'd mentioned pyrethroids uh do not most of them do not have any spider mite activity. There is one by Fenthrin, so that's a bigger capture. It's also a component of Hero. That is the one pyrethroid that controls spider mites, um, and that's one out of you know huge list. Um, right. And then your some organophosphates. So your Lorsban, um, dimethyl weight, you know those two, um, those are two products that two insecticides that will control spider mites so so if we can use uh one of those you know whether it be dimethylate which you don't we don't really i don't really see that commonly used anymore but we still you know there's still a lord's ban i know there's kind of some pressure on getting that one phased out because it does have you know it does have some adverse effects to people and other other non-insect um other non-insect animals 
but anyways, you know, we we can still we still have that as an option. You know, there's a lot of a lot of premixed products that have Lors Band in them. A lot of premixed products that have bifenthrin in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we need to you know kind of look at something that does have spider mite activity that you know right. that won't that won't flare them flare them up. Also, there's a you know like for instance uh, indigo that is a pyrethroid with a neo neonic so that does not have any spider mite control but something with that combination we rarely r- rarely see that flare that product's flare spider mite so it's really it's really the straight one mode of action pyrethroid products that we you know are concerned gotcha. about on making that application so i guess kind of moving on what other major insects are we looking at when we're looking at soybeans at the kind of this time frame you know the r2 through sure basically the end of the season yeah so so i kind of we've got a couple i, I kind of lump i kind of start lumping all our all of our foliar feeding insects together um you know you you got the japanese beetles you got the bean leaf beetles you got your green clover worms thistle caterpillars come, can come in there's a whole a variety of, of species and when i when i look at thresholds there i i look at I, I don't necessarily look at how many of a single type of insect i look at the defoliation they're causing so mm-hmm. when we're in the reproductive stage if we see 20 percent defoliation that's typically a good time to you know make sure we make an application right so that's for your leaf feeders then we've got pot pod feeding insects so stink bugs that um you know that's a that's a big concern they'll they have a piercing mouth part they'll poke into the pod and suck juices out of the developing soybean we may have some reduced seed size reduced seed quality ultimately reduce yield from that Um, another one is soybean podworm which that is the same species as corn earworm but when it feeds on soybeans, we call it soybean podworm. It, <laughs> it also is a pest of m- multiple crops. In tomatoes, okay. it's called tomato fruit worm, tobacco budworm, sorghum headworm, cotton bollworm. So it's uh, <laughs> it has a different name for it based on what crop it's in. Sounds like it basically eats whatever you Yeah, it, it just kind of does whatever <laughs> it wants to. <laughs> so they will feed on the pods. So um, between stink bugs and uh, podworms, those are my two... Um, pod feeding insects that we're concerned about so when you're scouting for those defoliation seems reasonably easy to yeah yeah i don't want to oversimplify but it seems reasonably easy to see something eating on the leaves if they're just poking a hole in the pod can you tell that very easily or are you looking for just the presence of a bunch of stink bugs or what are you looking so so we're we're back to back to insect numbers and this time as the beans get tall we use a sweep net okay so we'll we'll take uh several sweeps through and then we'll count um say we'll count how many say if we took 20 sweeps and we have 20 stink bugs in the net that means there's you know one stink bug per sweep so i think i believe the threshold on stink bugs is six tenths of a stink bug per sweep so um so if you had 12 in your 20 sweeps that would just or warrant a insecticide application the Threshold is also very close to that number on podworms as okay. well. So, so we're looking, we're getting a getting a count of that of specific insects on on those two. I got you. One thing I was going to say on the leaf eaters, though, um, and this is kind of surprising for people, is is you know you said the thresholds like twenty percent, 
20% is, there's a lot, there could be a lot of defoliation before you reach 20%. And I know that that could be scary when you look at it, but those soybeans can take a lot before they reach that 20% of defoliation. Yes, and, to, and 20% visually looks really bad. And, yeah. and since we're, you know, we're just, this is just an audio um, deal, I would encourage everybody just to Google soybean defoliation. And there's uh, pictures of what a leaf will look like at 5%, 10%, right. 20%, 50%. Um, it, so they 20% does look really really bad you you would think just by to the untrained eye you'd think wow that's got to be 50 percent. it's not yeah that, that was i mean that was just my point is is you can look at a field and you say oh my gosh i've lost 50 percent of my leaves well really you may have lost 10 15 i mean it, it takes a lot for it to truly be that threshold so yeah for sure yeah so we mentioned uh trying to mitigate a little bit for things that we don't want to kill um can you go into uh, a little bit, kind of now that we've covered stuff? Say we've got to we've got to make an application. Um, can we choose some kind of selective product, or is there are there some kind of application timings or anything like that that can help us not kill stuff that we don't want to kill? Well, so there are a couple uh, newer newer products that you know I mentioned Prevathon. There's another one called Steward. Both of those are fairly they're pretty selective to caterpillars. Okay. There are other insects they have good activity on, but, um, well, and I shouldn't say both, the Prevathon is pretty selective to caterpillars. The steward is uh, really good on uh, smaller beetles. So I think, you know, it's used a lot in, you know, for alfalfa weevils and, and of course going back to corn rootworm, that's kind of the go-to product to, if you want to kill the adult beetles I got and pr- try to prevent laying eggs. Okay. It, but those, so we're looking at maybe, uh, you know, for a caterpillar um, activity, we're, you know, looking looking heavier at Prevathon. Uh, we're, seems to be pretty good bee safety um, with with those two products. Um, maybe, you know, more so than, than the others. Our older modes of action are not very selective. Yeah. Um, so, so there are some options there. And then, and then when we go, it, you know, in, in the case of corn, we're, uh, you know, talking about these B, hybrids with BT traits. Those are, those are really selective. Absolutely. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, you know, that's a good way to, you know, we don't have uh, insecticide traits in soybeans on the market at this time. So, but, um, you know, if that day comes that there may be some, things that we can specifically target with that type of technology. But, um, you know, and yeah, there's probably certain, you know, if we're concerned about bees, um, you know, there's probably certain times a day that, um, they may be more likely to be in a soybean field than, than others. So that's, that's something to consider. I am not a bee expert by any means, but I, (laughs) I'm, that's something to think yeah. about is, you know, maybe what time of day are the bees going to be in there. Right. Um, right. And then in some products, um, uh, you know, if you s- spray a bee, it's, that's, you know, in the field, it's going to kill it. And, but there's other products that may not, they may not kill the bee right away. It might 
carry that back to the hive too. So sure. um, you've got to got to be con- conscious of uh, you know that type. I think of just stuff. being aware, like making sure we're aware of what we're doing out there. Um, you know, and and if there's a way that you know we can mix it up, park the rig under a shade tree, and wait for late evening when the field's not full of bees or something. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know that's not always an option, but but just being aware of what we're doing. Well, especially if you have, uh, you know, if you've got got hives that are close, then yeah. you'd be, you know, then you want to be super absolutely uh, do, do really do some studying if you if just just by having knowing that there's bees close, you'd want to kind of you know, make sure to take, take extra care. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All well, right. One thing I wanted to touch on just, um, that I don't know that we went over very much is like, we're talking about adding an insecticide with a fungicide. Um, is there, we didn't really go into residual activity of the insecticide. So is there a difference between what mode of action it is on whether there's residual and does that kind of impact which one you may choose? Um, and you know, also what kind of insects we have in the field that may also, so can we just briefly discuss residual activity? Yeah, you bet. So when we're looking at our, you know, pyrethroids are probably the, um, most common mode of action that we have out there. And then I mentioned the organophosphates like the Lord's band. There's also the neo neonics, the, they're kind of derived from a nicotine molecule. The neonics are systemic. So we can get some really long-term activity um, when we use that mode of action. The pyrethroids and the organophosphate, well, Lorsban specifically, does is not. Those are contact only, but they do. You know, they'll you'll have a little bit of residual activity. You know, a little residual on the leaf, or that that uh, those those insecticides are staying on the leaf for a period of time. There's right. There's going to be a lot of variability, um, you know, between products there, but you know, a, you know, a week maybe two. Um, some of the, a lot of the manufacturers of those products may claim a little longer than uh, what they might actually be, because you know we've we've got you know there's all kinds of environmental things that can happen, you know, some of them can break down by sunlight or you might get some heavy rains and might just wash off. Yep. So, yep. but with, uh, the neonicotinoids, those, a lot of those are systemic. Um, so we can spray those and that'll, that'll move throughout the soybean plant. And, um, those, those types, uh, work really well on soybean aphids. Um, you know, some, some, some types of, of beetles they might have a lot longer lasting activity than others but if you you know any whether we do a tank mix or pre-mix we can get those modes of action um doubled up or or i shouldn't say not doubled up on one of them but we can use multiple multiple modes that way so we do have options there okay um is there anything, and I, I want to give you an opportunity to, to bring up anything that you might be looking for. You kind of mentioned the, the things that we know are around that we're scouting for consistently and whatnot. Um, is there anything that's like emerging pests that you're like, just, boy, if I see one of those, these, I'm, I'm makes me concerned um, that like kind of would be around right now. Yeah. There, there are some, some new insect pests that are kind of, kind of getting close close to the area I, there's uh, soybean gall midge um that's one that's been talked about a lot i don't i wouldn't say i'm super concerned about it yet it, it okay. seems to 
from, you know, it's not one that I've seen a lot of firsthand because it's something new, but it is, it has been found in the Northwest Atchison County, which that's the Northwest okay. uh, County in Missouri. Um, but from the way things sound, it seems like it's going to be more of an edge, an edge pest. Okay. Um, there's a, there's been a lot of talk about this brown marmorated stink bug. It's a, looks pretty similar to your other stink bugs, but it's, uh, you know, possible, you know, it's an, you know, could be very invasive and, um, we will kind of have to keep our eyes out for that. Um, and, and that's something we look at when, you know, normally when we get stink bugs in our sweep nets, it's usually a green stink bug or a brown stink bug. So we, if we see a brown one, we want to, you want to take a look at their antenna. There's some differences there to where you can okay. identify that. There's a, those are really, you know, those are really the two newest ones we've yeah. caught a lot of, you know, mm -hmm. heard a lot about and that. And then uh, we're still watching what this uh, extended diapause rootworm variant's doing. It's kind of... Okay. It seems to be an every other year deal. So on our, we're not in the even numbered years. So we'll be looking a lot, lot looking out a lot closer for it next year. Next year, twenty twenty two. Gotcha. Okay. Um, you mentioned something, you know, a little about trait packages and and some some new products that have come out that are a little more selective. Is there anything you you think is is kind of right on the edge or close to coming out that you're kind of excited about or you think has some a place uh in rotation well we talked uh talked a little bit about the tricepta i with having that vip protein in there i'm i'm really excited about that i've, I've uh seems like our uh you know with what we've had in the past our um our earworm activity is pretty can be pretty weak um, and with that VIP, that new, uh, newer VIP protein in there, it mm -hmm. seems to, seems to bring a lot of, lot to the table on, okay. on a, on a more broad, broad spectrum, spectrum of caterpillars. So, um, so that, that's something I'm excited to see, uh, maybe see that in a, uh, you know, wider, wider variety of corn hybrids. Okay. Yep. And, and I, I'd assume that. You know, as seed companies and, and genetics companies are probably going to see benefits of that and, and push it to more different varieties. And that just takes takes time to get kind of through the seed pipeline on some of those. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. So it's there. We've, uh, I think, you know, we've, we've got a, got a hybrid in the more corn line with that. that I was going to say, we've done testing for the last couple, two or three years in the more corn lineup on um, experimental lineups just looking at some of those different traits. Um, okay. Interesting. Cool. Anything else you want to add uh, before we get off of here? Well, it's, that's, I, I think that kind of hits the highlights, especially trying to uh, talk about more of what's happening now, you know, yeah. this time of year. I mean, we right. can, we can sit and talk oh, about yeah. insects and all, I, I all day long. Why, and there's early, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, when we get around in the spring, we should probably yeah, have one of these for early season. Yeah, I, I agree. I, yeah, that's why I, I wanted to try to focus it just a little bit because it, it can get extremely overwhelming. I don't think you can really call anybody a, in, or an expert in insects that's just so, so you know you'd be a be an expert in a yeah really be a really be an expert in a handful of species yeah. maybe yeah. but yeah well and i think just to summarize you know it, it definitely um seems like 
scouting, knowing what you're scouting for, you know, not, not a drive by scout, but mm-hmm. knowing, going out there intentionally knowing what you're looking for. Um, and then once you find it, being able to identify it, talk to somebody who knows maybe some of those specific products that, that work, be intentional with a decision, mm-hmm. not to just grab the yep. insecticide jug on the shelf, make sure it's one that, that fits what your pest is. And then, you know, get that applied intentionally as well. It seems to kind of summarize yeah. kind of what, what, what we've been talking about. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. Look at those thresh, look for those thresholds. And like I said before, I'll, you know, I'll say it again, there's only two, two times I'll ever recommend spraying an insecticide if there's not a insect problem at that time. And that's with your fungicide on beans and your uh, first herbicide pass on corn. Um, okay. Other than that, I'm, there's, there can be some pretty bad consequences by getting rid of some beneficial insects and predators and yeah we're just kind of setting ourselves up for uh having to spray again yeah, right we, I, and, and actually need to spray yeah the yeah. next time yeah exactly i would say that this is probably very generalizing our last two episodes but when you think about the last two episodes we had with the foliar fungicides and this late season insects on the corn side we look probably more at a lot more diverse um diseases that we're going to have come that fungicides are going to be impacting us more but then when it comes to late season insect feeding we're really kind of more looking at the soybean side of peace so there's a little bit of difference there i mean we have problems in both but when you're thinking about it usually disease side is affecting corn more insects is affecting the soybean side more yeah it it seems to be that way at least the at least the variety of of what we're you know the variety that you're trying to attack yeah yeah there's you know with with corn at this time after we make it through pollination it's it's ear feeders and you know whether it be a corn ear worm fall fall army worm western bean cut worm i mean you're still looking at that you know that yeah. part part of the plant and they 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 can cause some somewhat some similar similar damage there's some differences between them but sure sure awesome no i think that's a that's a great again it's hard in agronomy. It seems like it's very hard to generalize things to that point. However, I think, yeah, I think that's a, a good point for sure. Well, Kevin, thanks for taking the time to sit down, man. I, I appreciate kind of what you've shared. I know, I know you're out in the fields all the time. And so you're, you're way, you're definitely up on, on what's going on out there. Appreciate you sharing kind of what you've been seeing and, and your expertise. So well, I'm glad to, glad I was able to visit with you guys and, hopefully kind of make every help everybody become more aware of what's going on there with in the insect world this time of year so yeah yep, we appreciate it kevin absolutely thanks thanks kevin and thanks for listening thank you everybody thanks for listening to made for agriculture email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com